Or if we could get like a chickadee in a kookaburra to duel. Yes, that also works. That would be ideal. And on that note, I'll say welcome to East Meets West. It's the show where Rob and I discuss contemporary Canadiana from our adopted homes in Calgary and Ottawa. And this is a very special edition of East Meets West. It is the North Meets South edition. (laughs) Oh, I like that. Yeah, featuring our very special guest, Matt Starosti. Starosti? Question mark? (laughs) It's a good question. I'm not actually sure that I've ever said your last name out loud. My name's actually Tom. I'm Tom from the (laughs) South. Okay. Because I I also remember the first time I asked you, it was like, last name? You looked at me and said, last name. And I was like, okay. Is there like a special (laughs) accent? Last name? Uh, yeah. You're still in my phone as Matt Last name. (laughs) (laughs) With an ague? On the on the e, I like it. Uh, no, I I didn't get that fancy. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me. I I'm, yeah. I'm happy to be here. We're very glad that you're here. So we are now forty eight hours from the polls being closed. Yeah. It's very exciting. And longest Canadian election in modern history. You have to go back to eighteen seventy two to get to a, an equivalent length. No one's going to do didn't, that. No. They didn't have fancy things like widespread use of the internal combustion engine or telephony or any of these other modern marvel, marvels. <laughs> Twitter. Yeah. The, <laughs> anything that was a Twitter was actual birds. Yeah, it literally. Was, it was a dark time. Literally, because electricity wasn't widespread either. So Matt is joining us internationally right now. And so if there are connection issues, we all apologize but we wanted to have him because he is uh, he's very knowledgeable about the Canadian pol- political scene. And uh, we thought he could lend his voice to uh, to the show. Oh, well, thank you. I'm uh, I'm happy. I, I hope to not fail you, but I'll probably fail you. OK, <laughs> I don't think that's possible. Oh, now, uh, so kind. just just on the note of uh, an international audience, what is the press coverage of Canada's election like in Australia? Oh, that's super interesting, actually. I just bought a copy of um, a financial paper called the Australian Financial Review. And on the cover, or sorry, in the hamper on the cover, um, it was mentioned. And in fact, I opened it up to the designated page and there was a two-page spread hmm. kind of going hmm. over it. Now, this paper actually gets purchased and people read it. So Whoa. that's Whoa. that's something. Don't say <laughs> that's something. I think that says something. Um, there's a very popular uh, prime minister here um, by the name of John Howard. Uh, a couple prime ministers ago, yeah, and yeah. they've done a lot of comparisons to Stephen Harper and John Howard because Harper modeled a lot of his policies off of kind of John Howard's ideology at the time. Um, and they're kind of saying that he's facing a similar moment now where uh, Harper has been in power for 10 years and there's a lot of kind of fatigue with the prime ministership and people would just kind of have this uh, interest in, in replacing him, regardless of whether or not they believe he's done a good or bad job. Right. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. I think your use of the word fatigue is interesting too. No, no. Is it... Uh... Is it fatigue, really? Because, I mean, it seems like the same thing that happened to the liberals. Like, 
just eventually so many things had piled up that they just said, no, no, we got to turf this guy. It's, it's time. Yeah, I mean, the Globe and Mail just recently published their endorsement, as they do every electoral cycle. Yeah, and they, in fact, endorsed the Conservatives again, as long as Stephen Harper doesn't lead it. Which yeah, is, yeah. It, it's kind of bizarre. It's, um, I don't think I've ever read anything like that, ever. It was really bizarre. It was really bizarre. Yeah. And they, they've, pretty, they've been pretty consistent in endorsing Conservatives. So the fact that they endorsed them doesn't surprise me, but the fact that even them, um, even they have kind of thrown Harper under the bus is a pretty big signal to the electorate and to the readership um, that his time, his people are just tired of his face. They're tired of his voice. They're tired of um, that Lego man hairstyle. Uh, yeah, and I mean, you can talk about the myriad of issues, I think, that people are frustrated with, but he seems, generally speaking, he seems to be out of touch, um, at least a lot more out of touch than when he started. Yeah. Yep. I think that's a fair assessment. Do we want to start at the hair discussion? I think we should. Yeah. Did, uh, did yeah. everyone see that liberal ad f- comparing hair or talking about Justin Trudeau's hair and saying no matter what kind of hair he has, he's still a good leader? I have not seen this ad. <laughs> I haven't seen this ad either. I, I, I'm intrigued. That it's, sounds spectacular. It's pretty good. It's, uh, it's a cartoon, and they, bas- they give him a bunch of different hairstyles, and he's talking about his leadership, and then they, they end up giving him like long, flowing, almost like to his feet length hair, and there's a fan blowing on him. And then saying, like, that's basically the only thing that could be too far. But other than that, don't worry about his hair. Worry about his politics. That's solid messaging. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can just see the Photoshop potential there to just Photoshop different hairstyles onto him during, like, press conferences and things. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. See, personally, I would find that very distracting. I don't know. <laughs> he, could, yeah. he, could be, he could be talking about, you know, selling all of our water in one big lump sum to China. And I would probably agree with him if he was, you know, sporting like a Super Saiyan style, you know, power what level is, over 9,000 wig. <laughs> that would be great. What is funny is when I was actually working in the liberal campaign office here in Calgary Center, there were days when I would, I would wear my hair down and, you know, it would be nice. It would be curly, whatever. And right around the time that they were running that attack ad, people would walk in the front door and look at me and go, Haha, nice hair, though. <laughs> <laughs> what? They'd, they'd look at me and say, nice hair, though. Because right. nice hair. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny, too, because I think we could also talk about Mulcair's beard. And he's tried to... It is marvelous. Right? That's what mm. I'm, that, that's my point. I think he almost took a cue out of Justin's playbook, um, trying to make his beard have kind of like a, a have it be a character of his own. Right. Um, but I mean, that's, I mean, that's, again, it's kind of like prettying up the pig a little bit. Uh, what are you, unless you're going to start having kind of concrete discussions about certain things. It's a distraction. And this election has been full of like really bizarre distractions. 
No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Our election campaign has been nothing but civil thus far. Right. Right. It's scary. That said, Matt, you might be more familiar than I am. Have you seen the pictures of the the campaign buttons with Thomas Mulcair's beard on it? Yes. Yes, I have. Do you, do you remember what it says? I don't. Oh. <laughs> what does it say? Me neither. I, oh. I don't remember either. That was a genuine question. Oh, interesting. Oh. Oh, interesting. Oh. Yep. That seems like something one could Google pretty easily, and I think I'll be the one to do that. Cool. Oh, okay. That sounds good. That sounds good. I've <laughs> got a whole go to Googler. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a whole thing going on in front of me. It's it's just better that Rob Googles it. Do uh do we wanna talk about the actual like compare actual politics here? Or do we want to like hold the policies? Off and talk about the election still for a bit? Well, um, I don't know. I think there are a couple kind of cornerstone things that kind of lend themselves quite easily to discussing the differences between the two opposition parties and even the yeah, Tories. Sorry, go ahead. It's there are a couple just really general, general like the big platform pillars, really mm-hmm. that could be easily discussed. Yeah, like I think um, we first kind of noted here that there's been a, a change in how many ridings are available in this election. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's gone up by thirty seats, uh, which means the borders have actually changed and the writings have increased um and it does kind of throw out the math a little bit um and that has kind of also changed the strategy for the parties who are trying to seek to put more members in parliament right um i think i read somewhere at some point that there are more there are sorry there are less incumbents this time around Mm -hmm. um because there are so many retiring there's so many politicians retiring that yeah, there are legitimate, yeah. more legitimate three-way races than there has been in the last couple cycles. Uh, I think that's a bit of an interesting point, too, because you're starting to get some more representative numbers, um, and you're beginning to have real cutthroat competitions in ridings where they used to be, um, where there used to be none. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, like, the, the only reason, or, you know, maybe, who knows, but one of the prime reasons that Kent Hare is competitive currently in calgary center is that the redistribution of calgary center itself uh it kind of shifted the riding eastward a little bit so we picked up the more left-leaning neighborhoods of inglewood ramsey and that kind of area and ditched a bunch of stuff around south calgary that is a traditionally conservative neighborhood okay so i mean that's gonna happen not necessarily towards the left but more or less randomly, I guess, across the country. Now, we, we, well, we, I say we as in Canada, do we do, like, who decides who is, who redraws the borders when you add seats? Like, is there the possibility of gerrymandering like you see in the U.S. when? I was going to say that would be the Ministry of uh, Gerrymandering, I believe. (laughs) It's. uh... Is that something that can happen here? Do you know? Or is it just kind of drawn up by politicians, like, in general? I'm not actually sure. Yeah, Elections Canada is pretty good at that. Ridings are distributed based on um, populations in square areas. So it's not um, like the, I know that the, I actually don't, to be honest, I don't know entirely certain, but I'm not entirely certain. But um, for example, when Barry was redrawn because the population kind of exploded, 
Um, the borders were just slightly altered, but what they do is they kind of, they do make it proportionally. It, it's not, Elections Canada is actually quite separate from that. Mm-hmm. It's not like they can be, there can be like a, I think there would be a bit of outcry personally, um, quite publicly from from the House if they were ever to try and attempt what is happening in the U.S. by like okay. gerrymandering little slivers of land and connecting them to other ones so that it yeah. can, you know, I, I, I don't think that that would be, uh, I don't think that would go over pretty well here. If if we're remembering the uh, the clip on, I want to say it was The Daily Show, where they took pictures of electoral districts in the states and presented them as modern art yes like that kind of thing doesn't seem to happen much here right and I, honestly the guy who was presenting it was so proud of himself because he he had clumped together you know like populations and stuff like that and then you look at it and you go no no that's not what you're supposed to do no <laughs> It's not how this works. That not that's not how any of this works. Oh man, yeah, not at all. Yeah, so I I think I think maybe the the fact that the writings are have increased does kind of lend itself to having discussions about um, how how our vote is even tallied, right? Um, mm. uh, it's it's interesting to note that. Um, I mean, we don't have mandatory voting laws, for example, but the amount of writings increasing means that we're going to have a greater degree of representation. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. the, that's the argument, right? Is that when, as the population grows, um, we're going to have more representatives and we're going to achieve a certain degree of better representation in the House. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where they're going to put these members. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to sit on the floor cross-legged or how <laughs> how exactly that's going to work, but I'm sure they'll figure something out. Yeah. Well, apparently that's actually a big problem in the United Kingdom because, I mean, back when they made the actual physical parliament buildings, I don't know when that was, but I'm not sure they envisioned a nation of 60 million people and the representation required for that many. No kidding. But yeah, I I don't know. Like maybe they'll start spilling into the press gallery eventually or. Well, I was thinking maybe those like hanging basket chairs, those could work and then they could, (laughs) and then they could like, they could, they could, you know, wheel them or pulley them up when they don't need them. Now, do we remember, do we remember the scene from uh, the star Wars prequels where they had those little floaty, things yeah. that stuck to the walls maybe that's what we need and the speaker of the house can have a big one right in the middle <laughs> that sounds fantastic i think i think what we Doesn't need it? first is a sith lord to shoot lightning out of his fingers which i mean you could make the argument we already have it so, was john baird it was <laughs> <laughs> he looks so good in a cloak if we have any viewers out there who are Photoshop savvy, oh, I would like to see one of the one of the pictures of John Baird where he's like, viewers can watch me do it. Like the angry <laughs> face and the point. <laughs> if he could get some electricity coming out of that pointing finger, that would be perfect. Oh, that'd that would be, be so perfect. Please do that. Yes. That would be so good. Oh, man. So I have a, I have a live update on the Beard pin situation button situation oh. situation merciful muffins the, the quote is beard a part of it 
<laughs> Which is not great. That's not oh. great at all. You know what? That's follicleist. I think yeah. Yeah, people people who are less in, or, or or follically not as follically inclined uh, might take offense to that. For okay. one, yeah. There's also just the chance for confusion because in Calgary Center, the uh, the NDP candidate, Dr. Jillian Ratty, wonderful woman, very nice, does not have a beard. <laughs> yeah. That said, uh, Will Hatch of the Libertarian Party seemed to be able to grow a nice beard, and several of his staff had uh, very impressive beards. Mm. And does that steer people the wrong way? Is that is that a strategic gaff? I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I'm just asking these questions. Well, in terms of in terms of strategy, you could make the argument that a, a beard cutout to put on the mm-hmm. signs of NDP candidates in ridings across Ooh. the country would and could be a very um, appropriate electioneering method. Now, that would be spectacular. It's hard to say if people would take that to the next level and could just beard any candidate. Because um, I would love to see personally what Justin Trudeau would like with his hair and Tom Mulcair's beard. Yep. That would be fantastic. Yeah. That's the dream right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking off into the distance and thinking about it. Hey, so Matt, you mentioned before, um, not strategic voting, we'll talk about that later, but you mentioned mandatory voting. Which is a thing in Australia. Yeah, that's true. Um, there, there is a law that yeah, yeah. come election day, uh, you are required to show up at the polls, and I think it's an incredibly great idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you get if you don't show up, if you're not on the registered, if you if you don't you know show up on the day and do your thing, uh, you get a fine. How much is it? The fine. I'm not sure, but it's it's pretty prohibitive. It's to the effect hmm. of a hundred hundred dollars or something. That's that's worth going and voting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I mean it takes it takes no time at all. Now, it's different here because there are uh, there's preferential voting, and we also I mean Australians oh, yes, also vote yes. Australians also vote for the Senate as well. Okay, so okay. they vote they cast votes in their upper house elections, which is. Interesting because they vote twice as often for their Senate. No, they don't. Sorry, it's six year. It's a six year term, and they do. They vote. The Senate goes to the polls. Um, half of them will go at one time. So the okay. six year the six year terms are staggered, um, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, the preference preference voting is is. I think there's actually some interest in reforming that process because. You, you tend to get a lot of uh, parties making deals with one another, and you tend to get uh, representatives of very small niche parties um, getting Senate seats because they have a deal with, let's say, the number one group. So let's say Labour, which is the big kind of left of center party here, makes a preference deal with the Greens. Um, or no, sorry, not the Greens, because the Greens get their own seats in their own in their own ways. But let's say the the Labour, um, let's say they'll make a preference with the, you know, voting enthusiast party, 
and the and the labor will get a, a huge chunk of the vote of the popular vote and all of a sudden there's a voting enthusiast party representative in the senate for 6 years um yeah. and they end up casting important votes on you know on matters of parliament hmm. um not saying that you know voting enthusiasts aren't people of course but, of course you know it's um th- that that's actually quite a common occurrence now, are you saying voting enthusiasts or boating? Boating. Because they sound they sound very similar. I'm saying I'm saying boating. And in all in all actuality, there is a member in the Senate right now of the motoring okay. enthusiast okay. party. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was actually it was quite <laughs> it was, he was quite gaff prone uh, because he would. They, he would do interviews and he would choke up in the middle of interviews and say, hey, can we can we start this over? And, you know, the tape would be rolling and he'd be like sweating and like taking off his glasses and like trying to compose himself because he had never been in front of a camera before. He had never been in a nationwide interview. Um, it does kind of lend itself that that method kind of lends itself to these deals, which put um, awkward individuals into the limelight. Mm hmm. And that's that's a fantastic level of political engagement in which boating enthusiasts might might take a seat within the upper or lower, lower chamber. But uh, quick thoughts, because one election issue is uh, democratic reform, mm-hmm. and I wanted to hear Matt's thoughts on STV versus MMP. Because I'm sure Rob knows, but I'm not sure Rob cares terribly much. I watch all of CGP Grey's Voting in the Animal Kingdom videos. And so that's why I think you know, but do you care? I do care, but I I also want to hear Matt's first. Okay. Well, perhaps you can provide just a little bit of background um, for those watching. Um, No, they can look it up themselves. What the difference is? No, no, no. Because I think it's I think it's important to discuss the merits of each versus first past the post, right? Um, I, I have my I have my clear preference, but I think when you're talking about changing a system that's so antiquated, like first past the post, it, the delineations are are incredibly important, and what they actually like, what they mean, right? Right. Basically, in 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 honesty, I'm I'm more in favor of mixed member proportional. Classic Matt, classic NDP Matt. <laughs> I I just think I I just think the popular vote. I just think the popular vote is skewed out. I think um, you have a large percentage. Um, it, which which kind of sits around about sixty percent of the population not voting. First of all, that's the big one, and you also have um, a system which creates artificially kind of boosted races, um, and it it defaults towards the incumbent. Um, I think that's. I don't think that's very democratic, personally. Mixed member proportional would kind of channel the the. Um, uh, popular vote more correctly, um, and you would also vote on um, a, a local level and on a on a federal level as well. So, more people voting more often, 
and more representative um, means kind of a greater a greater effect in in the house. Now that is interesting because my understanding of mixed member proportional was that you would only cast one ballot, <clears throat> one ballot, and. I was kidding earlier. For those that don't know, mixed member proportional is a system in which you cast apparently one or two ballots. But no, I think but, I think you're right. I think I might have actually got that confused. Okay. In in any case, uh, what will happen is you will have the local races, and you will elect people directly elect people, and then at the end of it, the long and short of it is they will tally up who has representation in the house and compare that to the share of seats versus the popular vote. And to kind of shore up those underrepresented parties, what they'll do is each party will submit a list of potential additions to the house. And those list members will, uh, they will end up, you know, filling the gap basically. Wow, that was terrible. The, Go watch the CGP Gray's video. He does yeah, a great I'll job. Yeah, I'll put a link to CGP Gray's Voting in the Animal Kingdom uh, YouTube playlist. Please he's do. He does it really well. I'd, so, I'd well. Love to, so well. I'd love to watch that, actually. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. I haven't seen it. It does a really good job of explaining the single transferable vote. Yeah. I th- yeah, he does one on a bunch of different voting systems, and I think he he wants kind of a hybrid that has the best parts of all of them voting systems does he i'm not sure i've seen that trying to advocate for yeah what's your preference rob i honestly because i don't know like the only voting systems that i can really comment on are ones that i've actually seen in practice and the the best ones that i've heard proposed i haven't seen in practice yet so i I can't really suggest those, but I think it'd be interesting to at least try those. It, it'd almost be cool to do, uh, I, I suggest outlandish things sometimes. I think it'd be cool to do like a, a demo run where we just go through kind of a mock election and see what the results would be. Rather, like it, That would even be, be even better than polling. Like midway point of the, elections, of the election cycle, do like a mock election just to see what's up and test a voting system. A plebiscite. For the purposes of seeing, quote, what is up? Well, because you could even do it. That kind of thing could happen online. It wouldn't have to be a paper ballot. It You probably could, but that could also be a thing to test online voting, which I think is something that will happen across sort of developed nations as time goes on, as the Internet becomes a thing. And we have more certainty in its security and in like fraud, detect, fraud detection, that kind of thing. But all that to say, in terms of voting systems, I I see some very obvious shortcomings that could be addressed with Canada's voting system, but I'm not sure what would what we could adopt that would fix those problems. Mm. Mm. That's interesting. Um, I think there there's something there's something definitely in the concept of now that we have the internet, this wonderful creation, um, and we use it all the time to kind of keep up with what's going on in our democracy it's there's an opportunity there that i think we're missing i i don't necessarily condone things like like electronic ballots because i think that those kind of leave the whole um 
the whole the whole program the whole system um, exposed mm-hmm. to fraud but there are kind of interesting things for example like plebiscites or referendums you know where we can actually perhaps you know th- there's more efficient polling methods than just ringing people up on a telephone if you can get um if you can if you can for example have a publicly funded um or if you can have publicly funded infrastructure that correlates um public opinion that's publicly funded on a certain range of issues as the issues come up you can actually give a certain amount of of insight or you can get rather a certain amount of insight into what people are thinking um rather than just cuz cuz right now polling is is it's it's disproportionate i think you can make arguments that stratified sampling is representative of kind of opinion but we've seen we've we've seen kind of a collapse in in um in support for polling in the uk uh in the us because the predictions just don't end up being true yeah um so going back going back to to talking about like what reforms are available there's so much opportunity here and i think we're missing out on it because we're 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 not as engaged perhaps as we could be hmm for sure now i suppose i'll jump in and say my preference yeah for the next voting system in canada would be the single transferable vote <clears throat> which is much more difficult to explain Essentially, you rank people on the ballot. Your writings, like our writings, would be much bigger to encompass, you know, two, maybe three members. And then rather than just whoever gets the most seats takes that many people, it'll more closely reflect the the popular vote in that you're directly electing X number of people in your writing. And so, you know, if someone gets a wide, a wide majority of support, if it's enough to elect two people under, you know, there will be a certain threshold for who gets to go to parliament and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if your party gets enough to be over the threshold twice, you get two members. If it's not quite like that, they start dropping off people with the lowest amount of votes and go to their next preference. That said, I'm not entirely sure how on earth Australia does it because I have worked exactly one election and counting up all the, all the ballots just for, you know, it was four or five people that took long enough. I'm not sure how on earth you would do it without the use of computers. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I've seen what the ballots look like. I don't know if any of you have seen what the ballots look like here. Um, no. But they're like they're like A4 pages. They're Holy. huge. Holy. And, and they've just got like a column of boxes down the side, and you just mark them off. Huh. Turns out they're all Scantrons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bubbles for first, second, third, and fourth choices. Look how that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> university career <laughs> no one has ever messed up a scantron before in their lives so Definitely you know not. it would be perfect yep i used to fill those out with crayola <laughs> <laughs> that explains what your very poor grades in school <laughs> no that doesn't that doesn't explain it at all <laughs> no. <laughs> no. the matter was entirely unrelated yes uh, yeah exactly uh, that's but, good uh, 
So the thing about STV and MMP is that they are trying to prevent a problem that's encountered in first past the post. And honestly, knowing about these now, I think first past the post is named ironically because I feel like single transferable vote would be better described as first past the post. Yeah, for sure. That the minimum threshold would be the post. That's correct. But first past the post is just, you know, winner takes all. Yeah. Most votes in the riding gets the seat in parliament. And honestly, I, I do like the element in that scheme that you do have the direct representation. Because I feel like a problem with MMP would be that you have list members that are beholden to nobody but the party. And that just like if, if a member of parliament really, really cheeses the electorate, the electors can then turf them in the next election, regardless how they feel about the party affiliation. But I don't know. I feel like list members invites party hackery and that's really my only problem with it. But the other thing to mention about first past the post is that it leads to a problem. And that problem is known as strategic voting, which is our, uh, our next segment. Yeah. Next talking point. Yeah. Um, what do you know about strategic voting, Rob? Uh, so from me, I, I took, I'll give some backstory. I took the vote compass that CBC has put on this election and just found myself in a little love triangle right between the Green Party, the NDP, and the Liberals. And That's hot. Yeah, so from my perspective, any of those parties would be possible voting choices. And so for me, what I want to do is support basically because those three parties are separate even though again for me they're very similar politically and so i'm i'm inclined to possibly vote for any of them but i know that i'm not going to vote conservative so from my perspective strategic voting is something that i could do in order to help knock off the conservatives because they're diametrically opposed to most of the things that i want from from a government and so that's that's what ends up happening with me is that I'm basically stuck choosing our incumbent when my writing the incumbent's liberal, but the NDP have been coming up. And so I don't know exactly what's going to happen here, but uh, for a long time, it's been liberal here. And so strategic voting for me in my particular writing might not help because the conservatives don't have a very strong showing right here, but strategic voting is voting for the team that you it's essentially making a vote not for the other guy and trying not to vote for whoever comes in second place on the left side or on in this case on the left side because we have multiple left-wing parties i think yeah i think i think the major takeaway from that is it's a vote against not a vote for yeah yeah and that's the problem because you lack voter engagement because they don't end up voting for who they actually want in parliament they vote for the person they think can beat the person they really don't like exactly which is just silly. And I mean, strategic, strategic voting could play a large role in this riding. Because the latest Main Street poll that came out had Kent Hare at 38% support. Uh, what's her name? Joan Crockett at 37. And Jillian Ratty of the NDP at 19. Mm-hmm. So 
if Ratty's got those votes locked in, uh, it could be the reason that Crockett gets voted in. But if there's swing support, like if they're willing to vote liberal because they really, really hate Crockett, then Kent Hare could be the beneficiary. Yeah. But, See, and this, but, this I think, yeah. is, is a very telling example because what it does is it shows that strategic voting is an evolution or an adaptation to a system which is inherently flawed. Yeah. That that the foundation yeah, yeah, the foundation yeah. has eroded at on with first past the post, and the way that the kind of electioneering um, mechanisms of the party have adapted is to um, at least keep in the back of their mind that strategic voting uh, could help unelect people. So now we're now we're essentially in a system where we're unelecting representatives, not electing representatives. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is kind of at the core of my frustration with this whole with, with this whole election and the whole system in particular is that unless we start having a discussion about replacing first past the post it's it's going to there are these myriad of issues that are kind of codependent and the linchpin seems to be first past the post right mm-hmm. yep so so um when you're when you're talking, for example, about a really tight race like you are, and you have people door knocking and they're saying, "Well, your best bet to unelect this person is to vote for this person," and you looked and you look and you look at a list and of all the things that this person stands for, and you don't agree with them, but you vote for them anyway. That's like, is that are you like what are you doing? <laughs> I don't yeah. understand. Well, I mean, in fairness, if there was a poster child for someone begging to be unelected, it would probably be Joan Crockett. <laughs> she she has been a vocal opponent of such socialist things as libraries. Oh my god. And uh voted against a bunch of the LGBTQ uh rights bills. She later said because they didn't go far enough, but uh, you that's know. not progress. <laughs> yeah, that's you, if it doesn't go far enough, you may as well just vote the thing down, right? That's definitely um, one interesting thing that I've uh, been following about this whole strategic voting nonsense is um, I've been listening to a lot of CBC radio, and in the last week or so, um, uh, the current has had they've had quite a few discussions on strategic voting so they brought in representatives from the main organizations like vote together and late now to uh, discuss the merits or opposition to strategic voting and one interesting thing that i took from that was that these organizations are largely donation funded and they've Mm -hmm. been crowdfunding um public opinion polls uh, stratified sampled uh public opinion polls that are accurate um within you know a significant margin so they they, they've got i think you know maybe three and a half percent 19 times out of 20 which is Mm -hmm. around the same degree of accuracy that uh federal or like national polling companies are are doing their work um and it, it brought out this interesting kind of uh anecdotal comment about how these are these are crowdfunded companies who are doing a polling in ridings to oust uh, members where um, they think 
national polling companies aren't being representative. And then it also came out that parties themselves are doing polls, daily polls in these little writings and not publishing them because, you know, that's kind of where their strategy is at. So you have like three different levels of polling that are occurring in every writing every week across this country for how, how many weeks has this election been going on? Too many. And we're, getting, many. and we're getting piecemeal amounts of data that are essentially arguing with each other. Like it's, it's, it's so convoluted. Yeah. Unless you're an adherent, an adherent of 308.com, which is <laughs> now an outdated. Uh, yeah. It's going to have to change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love Eric Grenier. Uh, I think his, um, his analysis is so interesting. Um, and he's actually been hired by CBC now to yeah. do all their poll yeah. tracking. Yeah. He runs the poll tracker. Yeah. Also the poll cast, the election poll cast. If you haven't listened, it's worth a listen. <laughs> it's super interesting. It's super interesting. So I would, I would urge any viewers out there to um, take, first of all, take polling with a grain of salt because everybody is going to skew polling to try and to maximize their argument, I think. Um, but listen to Eric Grenier because he, uh, he's able to kind of very finely analyze a lot of these polls that are coming out. Huh. Yep. Well, I mean, even, uh, oh man, where was I going with that? No one nope. knows. Nope. It's gone. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So what we should talk about, I guess, is what – are you guys done with strategic voting? Like basically the lesson is don't – No, I'm a big adherent. <laughs> Wait. You're a, big, you're a big adherent of strategic voting. Yeah, and I mean under the first-past-the-post system, I mean it's the best hope you have. Or do you mean are we done talking about it, Rob? Well, no. Uh, well, I was asking if you had anything else to say on the matter, but – oh. There was there was uh, some controversy that I saw, and I don't actually know if it was ever resolved, but where one of the strategic voting organizations was actually giving misleading information, telling people to vote liberal in certain ridings where liberals were not leading in polls against the NDP. Well, well, that's not the case. If we're talking about the same Facebook post... Then, That's what I'm saying. I don't know the resolution, but it the whole thing creeps me out now because I don't know. I did some very limited follow-up. Matt, feel free to jump in and verbally berate me. But I'm ready. Issue, I'm poised. Coiled. Okay, good, good. The, <laughs> I can't see you, but I believe you. <laughs> um, so I followed up with some of that. And the methodology... As far as I saw it, for for uh, who was it? I th- it was lead now, or I think it was lead now actually. Okay, but they were going off of polling data and or three hundred eight dot com, which is a poll aggregator. So it says you know if these are all statistically valid samples, then you put them all together and you have a more accurate representation of what's actually going on. Yeah, it's a meta synthesis, right? I don't know what that word means, but it sounds right. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a poll of polls. Like it's essentially yeah, a synthesized yeah. poll. Yeah. Now writing by writing, it is a little more flawed. It gets close to about 90% accurate, which is incredible given 
you know, what we've had before, but you still have that 10% margin of error because it's really just taking national polling numbers and applying them to, you know, a writing level. Mm -hmm. But all that said, um, if the organization didn't have polls that they had done themselves, they deferred to the expertise of 308.com for their, uh, for their recommendations on a writing level. But the objections placed by this person, I don't actually remember the name, but the objections raised were that they were recommending liberals in writings that had gone NDP in 2011. Right. Which is just inherently flawed because I mean the, the voter sentiment in 2011 is not necessarily the same now as it was then. Yep. And I mean, look at my honest. Yeah. My honest guess would be that that was a pro change voter who now sees the liberal bandwagon as the better alternative to, or the better way to defeat Harper. Yeah. And that's, that's my honest read of it. Like I, and she, she said, you know, go to vote together to get all your recommendations instead of this horribly flawed one. But the one she recommended had exactly the same recommendations hmm. for all the writings that she cited as being problems. My, um, my, my read of this, and I, I'm, I'm trying to parse um, perhaps the context in which this person was, was making their argument, but... Um, Are you questioning sobriety? <laughs> Look, I'm I'm caffeinated out of my mind, so I'm in no position to uh, to 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 quote sobriety. But no, look, um, I these organizations have um, connections to political establishments um, across the country, and I think there is a certain degree of bias when. Um, looking at some of the numbers and recommendations that are coming out, uh, it should be noted at the very least that some of these connections are very subtle, um, but they do exist. So this is my other problem with strategic voting is that it's kind of almost like the super PAC system in the States. Like there are no formal affiliations between a lot of those (laughs) organizations and, um, and, uh, and the parties or the representatives themselves. Um, But I would not be surprised if names start to pair up. If you were to seriously look at some of the volunteers, um, some of the workers and, and those of the, of the representative parties, it happens. I think almost it's, it's a bit of a misinformation campaign just as much as it is trying to establish, um, uh, defeat or trying to, um, to, to get rid of certain representatives. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this, this reminds me the whole, um, kind of comparison to super PACs and it, it, it just, it's so flawed in that, like that, that sort of system where people don't conspire, they don't officially conspire, but, there's obviously some backdoor dealings just takes me back to again going back to Stephen Colbert and and his super PAC and then the the super PAC SSH uh with this like where he was literally able to obviously get secret money and then he 
he decided to run and so he transferred it on air to john stewart and then john stewart gave it back when he decided not to run like the whole thing like the fact that that's legal is just crazy and i can't see something like that not also happening in canada maybe not obviously we don't have a super PAC system but like anything that's supposed to be illegal or extremely frowned upon probably happens just as much here as it does there i i don't know i mean Granted, I wasn't particularly high-powered, but on our campaign, we, well, I was going to say, like, we didn't really talk to the biggest, uh, the biggest, most active group here is One Vote Matters. They actually have lawn signs they're putting up, and we didn't really hear from them, with the exception of this poor woman who wanted one of our election signs, but only if she could have a one vote matters sign as well, because she wanted to formally endorse us to, you know, end swing support or, and, uh, uh, something, something swing voting support, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And we had no formal relations with that organization. Like we didn't even know how to contact them. We just, but one of the members of their board was, like she used to be on our campaign and then left for a while, but that there was no formal affiliation at all. That said, I mean, we also, one of our commitments at a campaign level was to run it clean. Like they actually said like, listen, if you think you're in a gray area, when you're about to do something, then don't do it. Right. At least, at least because the thought was, you know, if Kent wins and someone challenges it, you don't want that challenge to go anywhere. Right. As opposed to some other writings in Canada. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about that. (laughs) Yeah. Just possible. Writings where maybe, or not writings, but instances in this election where maybe that could happen, where if someone was to, were to raise questions, they would find something. Like, say, for example, just, just crazy pulling it out of the sky. Say you're putting up election signs and you see one of your opponent's election signs. Say you don't like the look of that election sign. Say you take it down. That's, uh, it turns out that's a violation of federal law. And say say you happen to be senior campaign staff and say you also had a, a secret meeting with the leader of the party. Just saying. Yeah. I'm if one if one were to hypothetically, of course, suggest such a, a course of action, um, one would be, well, it would be illegal, I would think. It would Very be. Illegal. It would be. And highly unethical. Unless you feel that unless you feel that the ends justify the means. And Yeah. <laughs> and they are doing that. Yeah. Say you happened to be uh, recorded while you were doing this thing, <laughs> this shady thing. And say it just happens to be broadcast uh, nationwide on the national broadcast. Say, 
say it happened to be the fourth election in a row that that party had been caught in shady dealings. <laughs> Dubious comes to mind. Yeah. As the word. My favorite kind of poutine is Pierre Poutine. <laughs> this is a lot of political references I don't get. <laughs> Uh, not at all is there any other shady stuff going on that you guys are aware of that maybe other people should be aware of um at our local riding level we actually found a ditch full of kent hair signs recently and by we i mean they right um yeah see that's that's scary um and it's it's simple because it's it's really easy to take out your you know your aggression on a on a lawn sign i know i've dreamt about it but you know crossing <laughs> crossing the line the, the the legal line there that's that's it's a worry um yeah. and the fact that we have to we have to actually actively legislate that to prevent people from doing it is again a symptom of terrible terrible um uh practices i don't know although i will say that there there is not always the intent to break the law there was someone uh, arrested this electoral cycle because they were wandering along just trashing election signs and they were stopped they were like you, you can't do this and he's like what are you talking about it's illegal you can't do that it's vandalism but i'm angry I'm angry at these people and I wanted to destroy their signs. Like, <sighs> and look, as, a, gra- as a graphic designer, that is, I find it abhorrent because <laughs> definitely <laughs> I think I think somebody put a lot of work into those signs and to see them get chainsawed. I don't know if any of them have actually been chainsawed, but I would imagine I can just imagine Stephen Harper wielding a chainsaw and running through a riding definitely doing them himself yeah 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 i'm I'm picturing it just running through calgary heritage (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know next thing you know front page of the globe and mail will be him drop kicking an ndp sign in calgary center no no he'd stick to heritage i'm pretty sure which is also a new writing fun fact it used to be Calgary Southwest, and he's running in Calgary Heritage. Oh, that's right. That's correct. I see. I, I'm amazed also, at how many new writings there are. That's really cool. Also, his campaign vehicle is named the Steve Van, which is still just. I, I'm convinced that's the I'm, best. That's the best uh, political vehicle there is on the road today. He undoubtedly came up with that van. himself. <laughs> See now, now I'm just thinking. I have a better slogan for the NDP under Tom Mulcair. Put a beard on it. You get a Portlandia reference that obviously yep. hipsters are going to get, and will they're trying to get young people to vote. People who watch Portlandia are tending. Now it's my turn to not hipstery. get the reference. Good. <laughs> they uh, have you ever you've ever heard of Portlandia? No. They. It's oh my a show, god. Uh, with, <laughs> what it's a very funny show and they're talking about hipster culture in portland uh, fred armison is the he was on snl he's now doing it with uh carrie brownstein another comedian 
And uh, they do a thing where they basically put a bird on all kinds of um, artisanal goods, like handbags, uh, hats, any anything like a bowl. They just say put a bird on it. That's their slow their their business's slogan. And I think put a beard on it would be a really good slogan. And you could just slap beards on anything. <laughs> yeah, of course. That would be perfect viral marketing. It would. If it didn't, well, I don't know. I would worry about vandalism and then it comes back on the campaign but But it's just a sticker like you could get viral marketing that would be great yeah just fantastic you're welcome mulcair you can use that next time around (laughs) i noticed that um in our list of topics that we kind of brainstormed um there is something here about uh coalitions and yes um kind of I mean, on, on the same line in talking about electoral reform, democratic reform and things, um, you know, we are kind of a very classic Westminster system. Um, and we're one of the only Westminster systems that doesn't have formal coalitions that often. We actually run into minority governments um, headlong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd be keen to know what Nick thinks about... Uh, coalitions um, because I know how I feel and uh, I, I'd, I'd really be interested to see what what he thought what I think about coalitions um, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with them and I would far rather see the coalition option to I mean, just a formal amalgamation of the parties because that was that was proposed over and over and over for the past decade for the NDP and the liberals to just join up. And I think I I don't know, I like having the three or greater parties that present three or more different styles of governance or ideas for how the country should be run. Yeah. And granted, I don't know much about how formal coalitions work other than the fact that you would just, my assumption is that you would uh, just have an effective majority for the whole four year term or whatever. And I think, aren't there some parliaments where they have to, you have to gain that majority coalition before you take office? Yeah, well, the way it works, I know the way it works here is that, um, so there's a coalition right now between the Liberal Party, which is right of center, and mm-hmm. the Nationals Party, which is far right. So they, they've, they've kind of devised a coalition just to simply outnumber, to take the, the majority of the, of the seats. I'm not, actually, I'm not sure if it's a plurality or not. Um, I get the definition of plurality and majority mixed up all the time. Yeah, me too. Um, in any case, um, they definitely ran as a coalition, but okay, okay, but now they did so with the intent to win the election, obviously. But I know that, like for example, in Canada, they have to say. The governor general writes them, can you form a government? And that question is, is interesting because it essentially suggests that, 
one person can lead the government by being propped up by another. And I think in the Canadian context, mm. that's the idea of, of what a coalition would look like. Um, as opposed to like a merger where there would actually be a formal merger and they would adopt a new name, kind of like what the Conservative Party did, uh, what was it, 2006? Somewhere around there, yeah. Something like, I want to say 2005. but Yeah, but... Some, something, something like that. And that's yeah, when in, Harper... In any case. That's when Harper, you know, took out Stockwell Day and basically merged and merged those parties, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, I don't know. Because that's, that's like almost, that, I, that was an effective coalition of the progressive conservatives in the Canadian Alliance. But I mean, oh, it occurs to me I didn't actually answer your original question. Well, I guess my, in the, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. It's interesting though to to talk about that because the the maybe I'm not talking about a merger. I'm talking about a an agreement, a governing agreement. Yeah. That yeah. After the general the governor general, you know, I mean, Stephen Harper regardless of whether he wins or loses a, ma- a majority of the seats, um he he will be asked if he can form government. And I'm sure he will try. Um, but he will fail. I don't think he's going to try. You don't think he's going to try? I think he's going to try. Why wouldn't he I, try? I, he's I, trying he to was cling the one on to who, power using every method he possibly could have. I think he referred to... Uh, I think he referred to the vote of non-confidence as a parliamentary trick at one point. <laughs> he is not a fan of the rules as they are written. Well, I guess that's true. I mean, he did shut the entire thing down twice to yeah. avoid yeah. A, a public inquest into. <laughs> and uh, there was there, there was an uh, an editorial cartoon that uh, they they posted a big uh, compilation of all the editorial cartoons that have happened for this election, and one of them was, you know, him standing in front of a witch, and the witch is like turning a cauldron or something and looking at scrolls and going, it's just as we feared. We can't prorogue it. (laughs) Hmm. So, mm. so he doesn't, the, the only way the opposition, even after an election, can form government is by voting him down, right? So um, he doesn't even have to re- bring parliament back together until June of, 20, of 2016. <laughs> um, so he could, he could wait, and if he doesn't get the numbers he likes, he could re-roll the dice. Um, which, I, it's in the books just as much as the NDP coming out and getting a majority government right now is so i hmm that's terrifying i had not heard that and i don't (laughs) i i actually heard about that in uh who was it mansbridge peter mansbridge's interview with one of the leaders he was saying well actually stephen harper does have the first crack at forming government and i went what and i'm glad i finally know what he was talking about yeah yeah, so, I mean, the election, and this is what I mean, the election also, too, is kind of a sham. Because it's like, oh, yeah, we cast our ballots, but we don't actually have decisions 
until, you know, three months later. Right. Thank goodness we have the queen if this gets messy. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> she commands our armed horses, you know. Break out your cotton gloves. <laughs> Imagine she just shows up in Parliament one day, walks straight up to Harper, takes off a glove and slaps him across the face with it. Oh, that'd be great. Go wouldn't to your room. Though, wouldn't though? <laughs> Stephen, you're behaving improperly. Oh, man. So, but yeah, in terms of actual, like, formal coalitions, I honestly kind of like the dynamic we have right now, in which, I mean, in this next parliament, anyone could be a kingmaker. And I think that's real. That's a really interesting dynamic. So I'm not sure I really like the idea of formal coalitions, but we basically have informal coalitions to get everything done currently, don't we? Uh, well, I suppose in a minority parliament. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they essentially have to convince other parties to gain a a, a majority vote on on issues, right? Yeah, which usually ends up with concessions, which usually means it represents more of the people's will than it would have otherwise. Yeah, and again, I think that's also a trick of the mind. We think that, you know, for example, one party suggests one course of action, another party suggests another course of action, and somewhere in the middle is, and is where we kind of end up. But those concessions ultimately aren't representative of the people because it's not a, it's not a, it's not a proper barometer right? You're essentially, you're kind of working in no man's land. Just because it's middle ground doesn't mean that it's actually representative. It just means that at some point you have very watery deals that end up could could potentially get um, overturned with another government. Or there are little concessions that are slipped in there that are very American in style and that we don't perhaps know about. Like, look at the omnibus bill. I, this is a kind of another another. Which one? Because I mean, there have been so many in the past decade. It's a peripheral topic, right? But it's like, how many of these bills have passed, and we don't the text like we don't actually know kind of what's 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 being done, right? So mm-hmm. this is. Why and I mean, that's that's good old Stevie Harper trying to trying to maximize the efficiency of government. Why pass all of these bills when we could just pass them all at once? Yes, exactly. So I mean, when we make when we make deals about policy, um, I think both sides are 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 equally. Uh, um, uh, I don't know. I lost my train of thought, but I think I think you understand kind of my argument. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of uh, formal versus informal coalitions, would not a formal coalition demand similar concessions? Uh, yes, but they would be public. Fair enough. Hmm. So I think now is a, probably a good time to talk about some of the actual issues dividing our country against Harper. Because it seems like, like most of them do. each other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you might be right. And so why don't we start with, I see an acronym here, TPP. I've seen it a thousand times this election cycle, but I don't really know what it is. It is the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Mm-hmm. It is meant to be a free trade deal along the lines of NAFTA, okay. but with uh, 22 member states? 
I thought Maybe? it was 14, sign- 14 signatories, but it might be something like 20 member states. Ish. I, I'm blanking on the number, but okay. it's a free trade deal, the details of which we are not privy to. That's correct. That's ironic, um, but all right. Well, is it ironic? So, yeah. Is it ironic? It is. It is. It's certainly not free. That's all right. Yeah. Um, this is a very, uh-huh, in uh-huh. my, it's a very, uh, um, I've done a lot of talking about this personally, um, but I, I'm I'm of the mind that you can you can look at the text, the preliminary text on WikiLeaks first of all, which is super boring. But it can you actually? Been, actually, yeah, it's it's been it's been leaked. Jiminy Jillikers. Um, but you can um, the the gist of it is just like Nick said, it kind of replaces NAFTA in the North American context. But what it also does is it opens up Pacific facing countries in South America, uh, Asia, and uh, Australia, New Zealand as well, to kind of um, remove tariffs. Right? Uh, it's an issue, and the secrecy issue is incredibly important because. It's essentially making the argument that corporations have been involved in lobbying these signatory governments for the last several years into, um, well, they've essentially been bullying them into getting uh, these tariffs removed so that they can increase profits when trading with other countries, right? Because that's a, that's a major barrier to making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the concern is, is that these corporations have been sitting around the table with these governments for so long, and we don't know what they've been talking about. There's a lot of fear about, there's a lot of fear that's been kind of projected out into the public about what, what essentially, what deals have been made. Um, let, me, let me pose an example for you. So there is text in there saying that um, if a corporation feels slighted by a certain government or feels that a government is passing laws that can impinge on that corporation's uh, profits, um, that corporation can sue the government, which means that effectively a government can sue people um, for passing laws that, that, might, that might harm that corporation's business. In Australia it would essentially open cigarette companies. Um, it would allow cigarette companies to sue the government for passing plain packaging laws. So uh, the government here, for example, several years ago passed very extensive laws prohibiting the marketing of cigarettes on the sale of cigarettes. So you now can buy cigarettes that are very prohibitively expensive but are covered in very graphic imagery and text meant to dissuade people from from buying cigarettes. Now, Philip Morris has, I'm pretty sure they're at the bargaining table um, for this entire deal, but if the deal is passed in its current form, they plan on opening a lawsuit against the Australian government for uh, essentially preventing um, profit maximization for the sale of cigarettes. Um, You you also have companies that are in the pharmaceutical sector um, looking to roll back certain legislations allowing um, cost-effective measures to be put on medications so that people can get better access to them. It's essentially privatizing a lot of these kind of bulk purchasing deals that governments have instituted to provide better medication to to people. Um, If... 
if Tom Mulcair gets elected, I know that he said he wants to institute a national pharmacare program to lower the prices of medications for the elderly and for um, middle-aged Americans who are kind of needing those medications more often. Um, and that would be in direct contrast. And any kind of plan like the National Pharmacare Plan um, would, under a TPP, be targeted for a lawsuit. Wow. Wow. Incidentally, I recently heard about Sweden's National Pharmacare Plan, and it's fantastic. I don't know why we're not doing it. It it sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, it, a lot of people are screaming bloody murder because those big programs are... Um, uh, they're seen as kind of very overarching and oppressive. I mean, look at look at what happened to the National Energy Plan um, in Canada years and years ago. Um, I mean, we're, I think we're far too ideological to even consider those plans. But I think that's what sticks makes the NDP stick out because they're looking at kind of overarching federal organization of 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 those kinds of things. So in the end, the, for, for, for me, someone who hasn't, again, hasn't heard much about this, this sounds like a step in the wrong direction. It sounds like corporations are trying to push this through and really it's not in the best interest of pe- the people in the countries involved. I'll play devil's advocate briefly, briefly if you want. I just, sure. before you go, Later. before you okay. go, Nick, I, I do want to, I do want to say that that might be my personal opinion, but okay. of course, free trade is incredibly important. Um, and I think the issue perhaps is that if free trade is committed in secret, um, it's like you said, it's a bit ironic. It's yeah. not really, yeah. it's, if it's not transparent, we don't kind of know what we're getting ourselves into. And the argument needs to be put out there that, for us to kind of have a proper debate about what kind of a deal would replace NAFTA, we need to actually see the text and we need to, we need to kind of pick it apart because if it's done in secret, we don't know what we're getting into. Sorry, Nick. Right. No worries. Um, on the, like on the side of the TPP, um, I mean, free, free trade often leads to economic booms. Like just imagine what Vegemite sales will do once those horrific tariffs are lifted. Yeah, I can't, I still can't convince people to eat Vegemite that aren't Australian. <laughs> so I, I, I really, I, I, I hate to admit it, but I think your argument might be flawed there. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I mean, the whole point of free trade is that uh, you, you eliminate tariffs and I forget. I, I've watched the crash course video on this recently. Right. But you're saying there's a certain peak production that a nation can reach. And so say in, in Canada, we're very good at making, uh, airplanes and you know, we're great at making airplanes, really good at it, but we also need other things like shoes, but we have a finite amount of labor. So, for every worker we pull off airplanes and put onto shoes, false dichotomy aside, we're losing out on the airplanes we could be building for a very, very high value because we're putting people on shoes. Let's say you open up a free trade deal with a place like Vietnam, who is not 
quite as developed industrially as we are. And yeah, they need airplanes and they can make shoes just fine. So let the Vietnamese make the shoes, let the Canadians make the airplanes and you both end up better because of it. And so if you have a deal on this scale, like 22 signatory states all along the Pacific Rim, like you could, you could feasibly have an explosion. Mind you, I'm not sure what on earth we'd make that, I mean, the Japanese couldn't make better, but (laughs) sorry, pause for laughter. Yeah. And yep, that's three, two, one. Good. Okay. Laughter breaks (laughs) over. over. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Um, but that's that's the argument for the TPP. It has very high potential. But I also agree with Matt in that I would like to see what it's about. Granted, because I think I heard this recently on a podcast or something. I cite all my sources very carefully. Of course. But they say you have to arrange these sorts of trade deals in secret. Because there is no way that you could do it publicly the whole way through without just raising hell on like in everybody's individual country at the same time. And it would never get done because there would be so much public outcry. Oh, that's true. That's true. It's definitely a communication strategy to keep this um, keep this suppressed, mainly just because they want to get it done. And look, parliaments are going to have the opportunity to debate the particulars. Um, I would yeah, assume in the yeah. coming year, the big hurdle is going to be getting it through the U.S. Congress. Um, but you're looking at you're, you're <laughs> yeah, looking at trying yeah. to get it through the parliaments of all of these countries, and uh, inevitably there are going to be um, opposition uh, parties seeking to uh, kind of yarn out the, the the details so that we can have a proper discussion about it. Um. I, I appreciate I can appreciate the argument that it promotes specialization. I understand that in in kind of basic economic theory. Um, but and two, when you start looking at the level of like the birth rate, for example, and how countries are kind of pivoting, especially Western countries now are pivoting to a more services based economy because they need um, because specialization has increased, right? So now we're we're kind of we're 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 uh, commodifying all the other specializations of all the other countries, right? That's kind of how this that's kind of how this works. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you are looking, for example, like I think the the biggest the biggest concern is for dairy farmers or or farmers. Period. Right. Yeah, because um, we have a lot of protectionist policies in Canada. Yes, exactly. And we have a very strong, there is a very strong union movement in Canada and Australia. Is there ever. And, and to, to kind of protect these agricultural industries. Um, now, that being said, uh, and regardless of whether or not you have an opinion on the, the, the merits of that, um, these are people who do this for a living. These are people who are very good at what they do. And they're potentially looking at losing their jobs because, or losing their life's work because um, there may be a country that might be slightly better at it. And the marketization of that could lean in favor of somebody else being the specialist at, at doing that and affecting the prices of people who 
are producing very high quality goods, but are exporting it incredibly cheap, cheaply. I'll say what what I think will really save our dairy farmers is poutine, because there is there is absolutely no way you can get that nice squeaky curd across the Pacific and have it remain squeaky. Like somebody told me, somebody told me that they could make poutine with bocconcini, and I scoffed. I'm still scoffing. Did you slap them? Well, no, because I would probably go to jail. You or be you beaten up. I'm not a that's, huge Okay, rival. that's that's fair enough, too. Yeah. Bocconcini? <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, even Alberta, it's tough. I, I, I don't think they've had proper poutine before, most of them. Because... If they had, they would not stand for this. No. And do you see? Do you see a person's eyes light up when they try proper poutine? Like you can't replace that. I wouldn't know, Matt. I haven't. I haven't seen it happen here. Here. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean. Oh, they even have the audacity to call cheese curd here squeakers. And it's it, it 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 doesn't squeak. It's been in the dairy fridge for. I don't, God knows how long by the time it's gotten to me. Yeah. Like for all the things that Kai and I disagree on, we actually went to a farmer's market kind of thing in British Columbia when we were there. And we tried a couple of the cheeses they had on display and they go, Oh, so you're from Ontario. Yep. Oh, then you'll be familiar with this. It's, it's our curd. We call them squeakers. And Kai and I both try it. Hmm. It's like, yeah, what do you think? I'm like, Hmm. Hmm. And so we walk away and just the verbatim conversation out of our mouths. I said, no, Kai goes, no, "No, absolutely not. No. (laughs) (laughs) That's too bad. Yeah. Protectionist tariffs, poutine, cheese curd, curd. Hey, look, I think I think there's a real opportunity to be poutine specialists, and the rest of the world needs to know that what we have to offer. Um, it's but true. It's at true. the same thing, I think Canadians, <laughs> by and large, are very good at other things as well. Other than poutine. In addition to, like, our maple syrup, for example, is more mm-hmm. class. Oh, that, yep, yep. Right? Um, right yeah what else do we do <laughs> beef 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 oh yeah beef soft beef. wood oil oil oil's the big one mm-hmm. potatoes oil's big oil's big right and so that's kind of a big, it's a bit in the tank right now but <laughs> but and see this is the thing right it's you look at these countries and a deal like this would actually help kind of more developing countries have access to cheaper energy and that influx of cheaper energy would speed their development. But we have to ask ourselves if a deal like that is, uh, is good for our economy. That's one thing, but is it good for the planet? And when global warming is such an incredible and potent issue right now, do we, I except on the campaign trail, funnily enough, that's Nobody what I mean. is talking Nobody's... about climate change right now. No. And have we, are we having an appropriate conversation about the effect of exporting that much energy? And is the science present and available for the Canadian voter to make an informed decision on which party 
is going to be a proper um, steward of 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 our role in an energy economy that is contributing vastly to a, a warming atmosphere. That's a great question. <laughs> Elizabeth Elizabeth May getting kicked out of the debates was a travesty. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it's like saying it's like first of all it's like saying you're a woman and you're not even you can't you can't sit at the big boy table. That it's kind of one thing it, it blatantly looks like. Well, Matt, it's it's the big boy table. She and she's she's a girl. You you laid it out right there. Yeah. <laughs> so, sarcasm. I, I'll just. I, yeah, I right. fear that you don't come I'll off just, sarcastic enough. <laughs> I was gonna say it. <laughs> I'll make sure to mention <laughs> that I am being sarcastic. Yes. Okay. Yeah. My favorite um, is deadpan sarcasm. Yeah. which May get me into trouble to a one fault of these at days. that time. Yes. No, 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 no. This won't be this this podcast won't be referenceable or anything. It's not like it's on an internationally accessible publishing medium. Certainly, absolutely not. not. No, of course not. Uh, and the other the other kind of problem with her not being present is that she's the biggest challenger to all three of them. Oh man, and she was amazing in the first debate. Debate. she was she was so good and she's smart she's like smart as a whip and she's just as lethal um politically so i'm 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 concerned that we're not having her voice heard enough the tragedy is that she's excluded on the base of popular vote but if she had increased access to these debates that might be the difference in the popular vote right there yeah and, and and you know this and, this contributes significantly to the to the apathy that's existing, right? Because it's like a whirlpool of disaster. Maybe. Sorry, maybe, I cut I cut you off, Nick. Please continue. Oh no, I was going to say I'll also shift in my. It's terrible because my my position aligns perfectly with the liberals, but I mean the TPP in terms of what I think of it, I honestly don't know because we don't know the full text mm-hmm. and like even the they wanted to make just like a spoiler sheet that the conservatives could hand out before the election and uh, it's 47 hours now <laughs> or no no it's 46 hours until the polls close and doesn't look like that's going to happen which hmm. next so that's, that's going <laughs> next june yeah yeah what other what other issues um have you been privy to rob uh that are kind of swirling around in your head in terms of the the election yeah so the big thing that i've been hearing about and it's the next coincidentally uh i believe is the next thing uh is the economy i've been hearing a lot about sort of the the differences between again the ndp and the liberals on the left side cuz i Obviously, none of us. I don't think Stephen Harper is a is a decent candidate it, for, in our age bracket, in our sort of socioeconomic position. I don't think anybody in our position, or at least of, it would be a very small minority, is actually going to vote conservative in this election. And there, but there is a fundamental difference apparently in the economic policies of the NDP and liberals. And I don't. I was having a conversation I, I forget who it was with, but talking about what maybe it was actually what led to this uh this uh podcast happening. 
talking about how the economic policies differ between the liberals and the NDP and how that could impact me and me not thinking that it really could impact me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if I, if I, if I'll start, I'll just say that um, economically it's interesting to see the way the platforms have kind of fallen. Um, it seems as though the NDP and the liberals seem to have switched um, since the yeah, NDP became yeah. the official opposition, they've kind of t- tried to take the center ground away from the liberals and the liberals have taken advantage of that and definitely moved to the left. Um, one key difference is that the liberals want to tax increase or add a tax bracket rather, um, on the top end. So an income tax bracket on the top end. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to fund a lot of, um, um, they want to fund a lot of, I don't know, initiatives, let's say. I can break this down further if you want. By using that tax. Yeah, sure. It was my job to know at least part of this for a while. Okay, yeah, 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 kill it. Um, thank you. <laughs> so the taxation structure changes would be to add, basically add a tax bracket for those individuals making over $200,000 a year and increasing it by Honestly, it seems like a trivial amount. It's like 1% or something like that. Mm -hmm. But raising that tax revenue allows you to decrease the tax burden on the middle class. And I forget exactly where the middle class starts in his definition. I think it's at around 40,000, 42, 80, 100, something like that. No, that seems high. But anyway, it's in that range. And so he wants to drop their taxes. And at the same time... Their other initiative was to not scrap as the conservative ads will have you been believe, but boost the universal child care benefit and sorry, not only boost it, but they ensure that the income gained from the universal child care benefit is no longer taxable as it was under the conservatives, which I always found strange because they would give you a check and then say, by the way, this says it's a couple hundred bucks. But you can keep 14 at the end of the year. So make sure to ferret some of that away. Which just seems mm. silly, I, I think. But I mean, it, it ensures that you have a progressive structure to it. But in a pretty roundabout way. Uh, so the, what the liberals would do is take what was a universal child care benefit and then make it, what do I want to say, progressive? Such that you give more money to those who need it most and less money to those who don't need it as much finishing with, I think people making over $200,000 a year who don't really need a government handout in order to have children Mm -hmm. in my opinion. So that was, thank you. So that's, that's that part of it. And the next was just, I'm going to quote Rick Mercer and say that their plan is to spend like drunken liberals. Their plan is to spend like Paul Martin on three bottles of rye. <laughs> they are going to run three years, $10 billion, $10 billion deficits each to invest in social infrastructure, green infrastructure, which has a lot to do with renewable energy, which I would like to look more into. And 
Uh, sorry, the, another part of that is uh, infrastructure to deal with climate change. So one of the campaign promises I was actually there to hear as it was first spoken, it's to do things like shoring up the bank of the Bow River and invest in the green line on the sea train. So, you know, flood mitigation, increased access to public transit, et cetera, et cetera. Um, oh, man, there was another one. Green infrastructure, social infrastructure like houses, uh, social housing, uh, old folks' homes, et cetera, et cetera, that kind of stuff. And I think the fin- final one was just infrastructure in general. Sure. And <clears throat> maybe, but like, I, th- I think it did come down to even things like roads because we do have a problem in Canada with infrastructure. And the Building Canada Fund of Stephen Harper was like going to amount to a couple billion maybe. And that doesn't even scratch the surface of the, the trillions of dollars worth of problems we're going to have if we don't deal with it. Yeah. And honestly, his ana- Trudeau's analysis of it matches a lot of the economists I've heard. And it's probably because I read a lot of Mike Moffat because I like Mike Moffat. And apparently he's been advising the party because they asked him to. And, you know, he wants to see things shape up the way he thinks they should shape up. So, but, um, the argument being that we have a good debt to GDP ratio. And the argument there is like not looking at absolute debt levels because it's like saying, uh, Bill Gates owes a hundred bucks and a two year old owes a hundred bucks. You'd rather Bill Gates owes you a hundred bucks because he's much more likely to pay you back than the two year old. Sure. Just on a debt to GDP ratio. And the other argument is that our economy is not doing terribly well. So our interest rate is tremendously low and you will never have the low interest rate for taking out loans to deal with this. And you're not going to have the low labor costs that you do right now in the future to deal with these problems. And there was one other thing. Oh, he also wants to make he also wants to make an infrastructure bank so that m- even municipalities can borrow money based on the prime lending rate that the government has access to. That's right. So that I mean, you can then I don't know why you would say to municipalities, "Nope, I mean, you're a government in our country, but you don't have access <laughs> to those rates." I mean, you need to do this stuff so that people can do things in the city. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, that's that, it's interesting because it's along the same lines. The NDP has uh, proposed essentially they've identified the same problems, but they proposed different methods of dealing with it. So to start, instead of talking about the uh, including it or opening a new tax bracket, what they want to do is maintain taxes the way they are, but in um, increase taxes or close tax loopholes on large corporations because they think that they can draw more money, more revenue, government revenue out of those large corporations who are paying very little tax right now and have plenty of money um, to fund kind of the social infrastructure part of the plan that Nick talked about. So that includes um, $15 a day daycare. 
the reason why they're going after this daycare plan so um, so actively is because what they what they think is that middle class families are often two working parents, and they think that they want to support this 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 um, this um, this this framework by giving them affordable affordable daycare. So essentially easing the pressure off of the middle class because right now daycare is blown out and there aren't enough spaces, right? So in in the current environment, if that continues to progress, you're going to have um, uh, the access to good jobs go down because one of the parents, if they're going to be raising children, is going to have to stay at home instead of being part of the workforce. And you're essentially limiting your that that kind of access to the economy, right? So that's I think that's their that's their approach for that. And I'm sorry to jump in here, but there is evidence to suggest that that will work. Yes. Because government-subsidized daycare has been tried in other jurisdictions, and it has worked to mobilize the women who would other it, – and it's typically women that would otherwise not be able to engage in the workforce. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because that's one of those things where there is evidence to suggest that if you spend that money on the problem, it will pay for itself in the long run. Exactly. And it's it's a really neat um, method of raising revenue as well, because essentially what you're doing is you're spending no money to collect revenue by just closing loopholes in current legislation. And you're essentially redirecting that money that you've paid nothing for into easing uh, a social problem. So the, 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 the logic behind it is, is pretty good. And experience, like Nick said, in other nations, it seems to pay off. Um, the the other thing they want to do is dump literally dump money into infrastructure in Toronto especially because they want to ease a lot of the the congestion and the the the, the lockup in in Toronto um, and what they want to do is use that as a framework to build other um, municipal infrastructure in large cities across Canada. Um, similarly to the Liberals, instead of investing in something like an uh, infrastructure bank, what they want to do is work more closely with the municipalities in developing plans for infrastructure and directly funding them. So it's kind of a it's kind of a more direct way of then in, in, in just building another inf- uh, uh, institution and having municipalities apply for funding. It's actually actively working with the municipalities um, because apparently there's a backup of all of these plans that municipalities have put forth and they've been sitting nowhere. Assumedly, they're sitting in the, in the same place that all of the science that got erased <laughs> from the Library of Canada is. Well, um, that's also, that's, that, that actually appears to be one of the conservative strategies to balance their budget, is that they had budgeted for a certain amount of money to be spent, and then they don't spend all of it, which is just so frustrating. Yeah, exactly. Because they essentially make promises that they say, oh, we're going to assist with this, assist with this. And then as the kind of, you know, the clock ticks down, they say, oh, we've got all this money. Let's just put it towards, you know, let's just let's just redirect it and not do anything with it. Um, The other thing is the NDP. Now, I don't know how I stand about this because I agree with Nick that they should take advantage of low interest rates while they're around and invest that in labor. So essentially rebuild infrastructure. But the NDP seems to be declaring that they want to have a balanced budget right away. Um, 
I don't, I don't, I don't really know how that's going to work out for them. The history shows that they have their best place to run a balanced budget. Um, it, it would be interesting to see how that actually comes into effect. I think um, there was another issue I think that you brought up, Nick, that that in terms of the economy, how they wanted to um, what the, what they wanted to tackle. And I can't remember. I think I might have jumped over it in in assessing that list. I wanted to say Pharmacare was their other huge push or their main pillar. Right. Um, I think generally speaking, there's an acknowledgement that uh, if you look at the population curve right now, for example, it's bulging in kind of the middle age, right? So we're right now on the precipice of a population bomb. And by, first of all, by acknowledging it, that that's a huge issue, but by building the infrastructure and taking steps to deal with that, it's going to limit the damage done to our economy because it is going to hurt. If we're not prepared, it's going to completely crush our uh, social safety net. Um, Mm -hmm. And by investing in a a plan like Pharmacare, investing in um, things like um, uh, housing um, stipends and supplements for seniors, um, and dealing and helping and assisting with um, largely a group of populations who my parents are in this as well. I have, mm-hmm. you know, my on one side I have a parent who's retired and who's living on their savings, and on the other I have a parent who is not retired and who plans on working until the last possible day that she can in a job that doesn't really net her much money. So. How do you take ease the pressure off seniors who are, are approaching the age where they're being asked to retire, essentially, but they don't have the money to save to live in retirement? And essentially, they're going to be going into poverty. So by, by acknowledging that and building a sense of it, I think, I think the NDP has said that they're going to um, provide tax breaks uh, they're going to uh, up social security payments, up retirement, or lower the retirement age again to 65 so that they they can have access to their pension more quickly. Um, taking steps like that to address the population bomb is going to be, uh, um, I think, is going to help make or break a decision maker at this point, or a person making a decision. Mm. I do really like the idea of a pharmacare plan. Because I think it's just profoundly hypocritical that our our approach right now is to provide free medical care to people. But then in the modern industrialized society where we have pharmacare or uh, pharmaceuticals, how they are, that's the primary tool with with which doctors treat disease most often. And to say that, yes, we'll cover your operation. That's fine. That's good. Whatever. But. That thing I prescribed for you—that's that's on you. Yeah, super sucks. And I mean, I also have a vested interest because I have asthma, and those inhalers are not cheap. Yeah, and I mean, I spent a stint in the hospital last year, and I'm kind of uh, placating a disease of my own. And when you realize how much money you spend on medication just to kind of like keep an even keel. Um, I mean, it can become prohibitive, especially if diseases progress or you're faced into a situation where your medical condition has put you out of work. 
So you don't have any income going in, but you're still on the hook for the medication to keep you alive. Like that's mm. that, and that decision is is very pressing for a lot of people who are facing, uh, you know, older age. Yeah. And again, if you nationalized pharmacare and then did something like what the Swedes do, where every month they have a list of every medication they need, and then they go with the cheapest supplier for that month. They just basically have an auction. So, hmm. all right, who gives us the lowest price? And then they go with that. And if you had that kind of bulk purchasing, the, not, like, the government would save so much money in the long run, I feel. Yeah. I think this is probably a good place to do sort of final statements. I I said at the at the outside of this that I wanted to decide who I was going to vote for at by the end of this show. And we're running up on 2 hours here. We're coming up to like an hour and 45 minutes. I want to put this out tomorrow ideally to give people a maximum amount of time to actually listen to it before Ooh. voting. Um, so what I think we should do, unless you guys have something more pressing that you want to say before we get to this, but I think we should take two or three minutes. And if there's anything you guys want to say about, about politics, about the political party that you're planning on voting for, or the party that you support and just kind of, kind of like a closing statements type of thing. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll, I'll just take the initiative and go first. Um, please do, please do. I, uh, I've always been quite vocal about who I support. Um, ever since I started voting, I've voted NDP. Um, I do this because I am hopeful that we can get back to a dialogue about discussing, uh, ideas and, uh, reform um, and I voted in the advance election uh, this time for my NDP candidate, Ellen White, um, because I want to put more new Democrats in Parliament. Um, the reason why I voted for NDP this election in particular is because the biggest issue for me is democratic reform. Um, I keep seeing this like as I said, kind of like a webwork and a myriad of issues that seem to be inherently connected to our disproportionate lack of representation and uh, compared to the rest of the world. I've been living in Australia now for almost two years, and I've seen a, a system that isn't perfect, but it's far more representative, and it challenges the individual voter to... Um, to, to become interested in the political process, understand what they're voting for, and participate more actively in the decisions that affect them, their neighbors, and the rest of their communities. Um, I think the reason why I support the NDP above the liberals in this for this particular issue, in this particular election, is that the NDP has come out with a plan. Again, it's not perfect, but it's a plan, and it's there, and you can read it, and you can see their history on voting for measures that are in support of that plan. What I've heard from the Liberal campaign is that they want to continue looking at it. We've been looking at this for a long time. There are a lot of studies that are out there comparing and contrasting the ways that we can <clears throat> affect good democratic reform in Canada 
and I'm sick of waiting. Um, I'm sick of being in a country where the court can strip away my power to vote, even though I have citizenship, just mm-hmm. because I'm living outside the country. Um, it's issues that are important to me that, like this one, that are the reason why I vote in the first place and the reason why I do so in advance polls. Um, if you're going to vote, vote for the issues that you care about and support the people who are willing to stand up for those issues. Don't do it because you want somebody to leave and don't do it because you think nobody else has a better chance. That's my argument. Well said. Very nicely done. Nick. So my main issue coming into this election was science and technology and R and D as has been very well discussed on future chat. And you here, check that out as tomorrow well. morning. Sorry, and earlier. Oh yeah, episodes, absolutely. Yeah. And a, honestly, a big part of why I'm voting for who I'm voting right now is that Kent Hare took the time to sit down with me as a private citizen, and I told him, I said, "These are my issues. This is what I think we're doing wrong, and this is what I think is the better way forward." Because right now. Not only are we a laughing stock on the world stage, but we are also doing our country a disservice by acting in the way we are. And not only did he listen, he asked intelligent questions. He took my notes with him at the end of the meeting. And actual months later, I... I went to a debate where he was present and they were asking for audience questions. And so my question was what the parties thought of the current R and D structure and what they would like to see done differently. And Kent answered in the way that I thought he should answer in that we should view R and D spending as an investment rather than a cost and a way to keep Canada competitive on the world stage going forward, like in the decades to come, not just the next fiscal quarter. And that's a big part of why I'm, why I'm voting for Ken Hare. Why I would advocate for the liberals on the national stage is that since the Great Recession, I've watched my country stagnate. I've watched it just peter along with minimal growth almost entirely propped up by the by Albertan oil. Like that was a big part of why our dollar lasted as long as it did. Mm-hmm. And I watch, you know, I watch young people around me struggle to find stable employment. <clears throat> me and Rob. Yep. yep. Hey, I'm part of that too, uh, even though I left. <laughs> it took I, me a long I, time. I watched like I, I I'm watching a lot of layoffs right now because of the oil crunch. But I've been watching people worry about their jobs for a decade now. Mm-hmm. And I'm tired of it. And I feel like the only party who has really, truly looked at this situation and said, no, we need to put our foot down on this issue. We need to take action and we need to stimulate the economy properly. 
by investing in infrastructure, not by putting out a large-scale ad campaign to tell people how great we are and how great our economic action plan is, but by actually taking action on these things and actually investing on infrastructure. And the whole reason you invest in infrastructure as Keynes, Alfred or John Maynard Keynes, the the original advocate, said, even if you don't stimulate the economy, worst case scenario, if you invest in infrastructure, is you're left with that infrastructure that you needed the entire time. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I would advocate for the liberals on a national stage. That's honestly the bulk of it. Because I think that's going to stimulate the economy and that's going to get us to more of a place where we need to be. But honestly, I genuinely feel that the NDP and the liberals have more in common than they have differences. And so, Rob, Rob, what I want you to do, what I want you to do is go to 308.com or vote together or some organization like that. And I want you to see the ABC candidate, the anything but conservative candidate. And I want you to vote for them. So this whole thing has all been trying, Nick trying to get me to strategic vote. It sounds like it. Because regardless who we strategically vote for, it should be the last election in which you have to do that. It should be. And so my position after all of this, after both of your very passionate and completely non-argumentative statements. Rob's voting green. Yeah, which I applaud you for. No, no, I I don't think I would vote green in this election. I would love to vote green in the future. Um, Yeah, me too. I I really want to vote independent. I really do. I want to vote for both. You both made very compelling points, and I don't disagree with either of those either of those collections of statements. I think that the NDP, I have a lot in common with them, as the Vote Compass showed. I think I have a lot in common with liberals. And I think that's a lot of people in my position who maybe, who aren't super informed on matters and who just, again, who science and tech innovation that kind of thing is very important to them uh and sort of coming up in the economy is going to prove to be important in the future or in the next maybe five or ten years i think we're all kind of being forced to make that decision and and like you guys said they're not that different they're more similar than they're different and i would love to be able to cast half a vote for either of them yeah i know right or or rank them on a ballot. Or rank or, them. Or yeah, rank them. a ranked ballot. That wouldn't that be great? Yeah. yeah. So I I like where Nick is going, and I honestly have thought of that. I just I feel like once again my vote, my single vote isn't going to matter on the national stage. I've always felt that way. I'm going to vote because it's super important. But I really think that I would like to redo this election almost immediately with Stephen Harper not no longer running for his seat, no longer running for the leader of the Conservative Party. I think that would make my decision a lot easier. And I, I can't even really think about what my decision would be in a real sort of 
non-strategic voting election unless it would actually happen. Like I can't – there's no reason to run through that scenario right now because it's just not – that's not what I'm dealing with. So I think I have failed in that I still don't know who I'm going to vote for. <laughs> <laughs> This was all for nothing. But but the point is the the, the point is that electronic high five, Matt. Yeah, high right five. Right I want to vote there. for both, and that's the problem. It's it's that they're both options are good for me. I don't think there's a bad choice. I like the idea, uh, the liberals' idea, and again, so most of what I'm getting isn't from the mouths of the politicians, but it's how the media puts it, and other than the the right-leaning uh, publications that I've been reading about endorsing the conservative government, all I've been seeing is knowing that I lean pretty far to the left politically, I think the liberals are going to end up being a better choice overall. Yes. But I really love, I love the little guy factor of the NDP. So I, I'm so torn I'm so torn. Yeah, you know I'm, they weren't always they weren't always the little guy in this election. I um, know they were projecting for a minor or a majority before yeah. Quebec decided they were a bunch of racists. <laughs> and again, sarcasm. <laughs> yes. But the Nikob you know debate no. has caused a massive swing in the. In the you Quebec could say it. Election. You could say it kneecaps the whole bloody thing. <laughs> <I know. laughs> <laughs> I should say it kneecaps. It oh, kneecaps no. the whole bloody thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, unless you guys have something else to say, I think that's probably a good place to end it for now. Come for the policy, stay for the puns. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, what I'll say first of all, Matt, thank you very much for coming from across the world to us. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. It was it was really great having you. This was spectacular. Very informative. Yeah, I hope we, I hope we uh, to do I, I hope we get the opportunity to do this more. I often. hope so as well. Cool. Nick, once again, it's always great having you uh here for a couple hours every once in a while. Yeah. I love seeing you once every so often. <laughs> <laughs> uh so I will direct people to obviously first Go and vote. Um, and if you have, if this election's already passed by the time you listen to this, go and vote in the next election you uh, you're asked to vote in. This this is not going to be an evergreen episode, although I think people would still enjoy it or get something out of it after the nineteenth. Mm. Um, At the very least, just take the vote compass quiz and see how the parties align with what you think. Yeah, no party is going to align perfectly with everything you believe. But you can at least get an idea for who you might want to vote for. Yep. Okay, uh, that's it for the show. Head to unwindmedia.com slash EMW for East Meets West uh, if you want to listen to old episodes or and future episodes, and you can subscribe from there as well. Uh, thanks for listening, and thanks for being here, Matt and Nick, once again. Take care, Rob. Take care, Nick. Guys. It's good to see you too. You too, Matt. Cheers.